everyone. Welcome back to Unleashing the Kingdom with Susan DeBrew, our inaugural podcast that we are launching from Kingdom Brewing, which is the ministry of Gregory and Susan DeBrew here in Mansfield, Texas. We're coming to you live from DeBrew Studios. <laughs> Doesn't that sound fun? We're going to have a lot of fun today talking about the kingdom of God, talking how the kingdom comes in the world, how the kingdom impacts people in the real world where they live, work, and play. We're going to talk about kingdom in business, kingdom in family, kingdom in the church. Oh, yes, we need the kingdom in the church. Let it be, Lord. We're going to be talking about all things kingdom. It's going to be a lot of fun. You guys ready to do this? Let's jump in. Today we're going to talk a lot about John chapter 17, and I want to introduce you to your host, Susan DeBrew. Of course, I'm your co-host, Steve Pixler, but we're going to let Susan take us a little bit through a journey of her experience with John chapter 17 and how Holy Spirit took her into the whole question of unity, which really has um, deep impact on the whole question of equality between men and women. Yeah. So Absolutely. John 17 is really kind of a foundational passage for the whole idea. It is. And it's actually kind of been my personal life chapter. You know, so so many of us, there's something in our Christian walk that just makes us come alive. And we resonate like in, in this in this scope of our particular role in the kingdom. We know like that's our flavor or that's our, our anchor, our point of yeah. um, the Lord's purpose for us on the earth. And yeah. as a very new believer... I was uh, introduced to the Lord in a very deep way in a very fundamentalist church. Yeah, and so as I'm lear- I'm reading the Bible for the very first time at the age of 35. Wow. I mean, I'm turning the pages, <laughs> not knowing what's going to happen next. Wow. So I'm sitting there in my bed every night, like turning the page, like what's going to happen to Abraham, like hungry for it, and it was all brand new to me, other than the few you know little cartoon type things that you learned about the Ten Commandments or something. But, um, and when I got to John 17, it was like everything in me came alive. Like I knew that somehow this was the answer. Well, Jesus says, right, this is the answer to world evangelism. This is the answer to the world's issues. This is actually John 17 is his high priestly prayer. Yeah. You know, we call the Lord's prayer what he, what he taught the disciples to pray, but that wasn't his own prayer. Yeah. Right, he wasn't needing to be forgiveness forgiven for sins, or right, right. he was doing that as a model for us to pray. But this is his prayer, yeah. and it's the night uh, before he's executed. So this is, you know, when someone's getting ready to leave the earth and they know it, what they say, like, is of all of Jesus's words are important, but this is of heightened importance. Right. And so this is um, in the upper room. This is his high priestly prayer, and when they're done, he's getting ready to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, this is it. This is, like, his final cry to the Father on our behalf, and it's the longest recorded prayer of his in the Bible. And so, you know, if this is his heart cry, if this is Jesus' heart cry, obviously it's really important. And so in in this sweet church... And there are, they'll come, you know, the people were coming to me and asking me, like, what is your calling? 
And, and in my innocence and in my naivete, I didn't understand what they really were asking, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, no, no stones, no offense to them, but they honestly were asking the question, like, do you want to serve in the nursery yeah. or the kitchen? Yeah. Like, what, what role should you play here at church, right? Yeah, that was actually yeah. their motive for asking me the question was, how am I going to serve and in what area? And there was very few options for women. Right. So those were the two main ones, but I I didn't have a paradigm for that. And so when they're asking me, what is my calling? I'm thinking like, what do I believe that Jesus has called me to? Wow. And I was like, the unification of the body of Christ. <laughs> and they'd look at me like, <laughs> you know, you're one of those weird people. We don't and have it, a role for that. <laughs> Lord have mercy. There's no position in the church for the unification. No, no position in the church. And they're like, like and, and even when I'm saying that, like I realize Look how divided the body of Christ is across yeah. the planet. Yeah. This is a God-sized thing. I have no idea what that means or what that looks like. I just, you know, feel um, a burden, like a fire in my belly about yeah. it. Yeah. And and when you get those kind of reactions, you learn, okay, so maybe don't tell everybody that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's just between you and the Lord. Um, but over the years, he began to unpack John 17 to me and began to show me different areas that he actually was already at work yeah. in bringing unity to his body. Yeah. Yeah. So the John 17 being the high priestly prayer of Jesus, mm -hmm. his, his heart, his passion for his disciples, I think one of the things that really stands out to me, and we can kind of go through the chapter a bit if you want and kind of give an overview sure. and just kind of some of the highlights for you. But it really seems to me that you mentioned it being his heart for his disciples. Yeah. But I think it also really, on a very fundamental level, reveals the heart of the Father and the entire purpose of creation. Yeah. Union. Yeah, union. Yeah. Union with God. Yeah. So talk about that just a bit. Does that does it strike you like that? It actually does. And so uh, I don't know that we'll have time to go over the whole chapter. But if we if we come back to the – if I just focus in on some of the, the – the, the verses that strike me the mm -hmm. most, mm -hmm. like like number one in chapter three, it says, this is eternal life that you know yeah. God, like you know the Father. And in Western Christianity, that has become to know about him. Yeah. It's an intellectual exercise where the words there actually mean to experience him. Yeah. And in the garden, that was the purpose, right? Yeah. That we are in relationship and that we experience him and that he actually experiences us too. Yes. You know, he created us for relationship. Yeah. And not just for entertainment, like right. we're not pawns in his game or something. Right. Um, and so, and then when he goes on and he starts talking about unity, like this is the whole purpose. And he's praying not just for his disciples, but in chapter, I mean, in verse 20, he says, I don't ask on behalf of these alone, not just behalf on the disciples that were there in the room with him at the moment. But he yeah. says, I, but I'm praying for all who believe in me because of their words. Yes. And people, that's you and me, that's right? That's us. And so I know that I know that I know this was not written just for the people at the time, which often we can, in our intellectual uh, pursuit of the scripture, sometimes we'll set things aside as that was only for the day. Yeah. And he made it so clear, this is for us today. Yeah. Yeah. It actually is. And he says that, um, I don't press pray for, for those alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. And, you know, the word there literally means one. Yeah. You know, yeah. How, how, do, how do all these diverse people groups become one? And he says, even as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, like even like that. Yeah. 
And we talked last time a little bit about perichoresis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was first introduced to that by uh, a gentleman, Baxter Kruger, but I didn't really understand until I started sitting under your teaching. And you began talking about perichoresis and about the unity of the Trinity. And yeah. that's when it started to really come alive for me. Yeah. And, um, and so when it says that they may all be one, even as you, Father, in me, and I am in them that they may also be in us. We're invited into that unity yeah. like we were created for in the garden. And I think that's where what your your question brings us to. Yeah. And it says, so the world will know. Yeah, This is so the world will know that the Father sent Jesus. So, okay. Now, what you've just described for me falls out into three stages. I tend okay. to think in maps. Good. Okay, so that's just kind Strategic. of how my brain works. So I think in maps. So when I hear that statement right there, I see, first of all, the union or the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm-hmm. We are invited into that union yeah. so that we are invited into the circle dance, the perichoresis. Yes. Mm-hmm. As we come into union with the Father who is in perfect union with the Son and the Spirit and the Son with the Father and the Spirit and the Spirit with the Father and the Son, when we come into that union and we're brought into it, it then generates within us union capacity. Exactly. So now we suddenly have the capacity to be one with each other. Now, the reason this really, and then the third thing that I see in that stage is that then the world then sees. Okay, but that second one, which is where it often tends to break down, and I think it often breaks down because we're focusing on the second stage rather than the first. So in other words, our focus is we're a, we're a church, we're a family, we're a business, we're a whatever, and we're having conflict. So how do we focus on let's all become one? Let's all, you know. We try to make it so we, we get along. Right. Rodney King, can't we all get along? You remember from the rights yes, in Los Angeles? Yes, what, yes. Can't we all just get along? And that cry of the heart, can't we all get along? So we try behavior modification. We try pressure, manipulation. We try threats and consequences. We try all sorts of things. We shame people. The church shouldn't be so divided. And so we work hard at this lateral, horizontal Fleshly. unity with one another, yes. and it's destined to fail. It is because that's not what he's talking about. Because it's rooted in relationship with him. If we don't have that first, we can't is. do the unity. There it is, yeah. which to me is the whole secret of the, of the message of perichoresis, is that it's not just about you and me trying to figure out how to get along. It's about us us receiving the oneness we have been given in Christ with the Father through the Holy Spirit, leaning into that oneness, becoming one with him, and out of that then I can start aligning with you. And that sounds so foreign to so many Christians and yeah. definitely people in the world will think we're kind of crazy. Like right. you're becoming one with God. <laughs> right. and, and But that is the message of the New Testament, right? That it is the is. whole message of communion. Yeah. That is the message of, you know, Jesus saying, you know, Father, I and them and you and me and me yeah. and them, like, and then them together in us. Like the whole point is when we actually invite the Lord into our heart, even like this under school message where you invite Jesus into your heart, he becomes part of you. I almost started heart. singing into my heart there. Into I'm sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> into my heart. No, go. Well, I won't torture you with that. <laughs> You're a good singer, so I'm okay with that. You don't want me singing. No, trust me. It's okay. I have other gifts. Um, and so... When we understand that it's when we become one with him, when we're learning to rest actually in our original identity, our original creation in the garden, when we actually start breaking off the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden 
and they lost their glory. You know, Hebrews talks about how they lost their glory. They actually lost their awareness of who God was and who they were in him. That's right. And Jesus came to restore that. And that's why so much of John 17 actually talks about the glory. And it says, you know, it says, um, I in them and you in me, verse 23, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world, he says again, so that the world will know that you sent me. But it says up in verse 22, it says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them so that they can be one. So how can we be one? We have to receive his glory. And what, like, so these are big, like, uh, ethereal, like, um, almost out of reach type words. Like, how abstract, like, how in the world can Jesus give us his glory? Mm Mm-hmm. So that we can be one. And what does it mean when he's like, and Father, the glory you gave me. But when we understand, like, when when we're talking about biblical glory, if you look at glory in the Old Testament, like Kabad, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a t- one time in Psalms that talks about Kabad being uh, parallel to the Lord's shield. And in Job, it talks about it being parallel to his bow. These are actually um, like weapons of warfare, and it talks about their weightiness, but it's actually about his power. Mm-hmm. It's about who he is being manifest. So when you say you're bringing someone glory, you're actually acknowledging their brilliance, okay. who they are. Yeah. Yeah. You're recognizing and acknowledging Um, their magnificence and whether that's a human being or whether God the father. And so when we're bringing him glory, it's not like he's lacking glory, right? right? right, It's that we're acknowledging and coming into awareness of who he is. And then when we understand that's who we are in him, we can begin to receive that reciprocal perichoresis, that mutual indwelling of I become him when I'm one with him in the idea of I am a child of God, right? And the daughter of a lion is a lion. Like I can't begin to separate my, um, you know, he he talks about us becoming in the likeness of him, right? In, so Jesus, sorry if I'm like playing the ADD card. Go for it. It's a big topic. I love ADD. Come on. Sorry. So when, when Jesus says that he was the perfect representation of the Father, yeah. like he, he's exactly, he was God's glory on the earth. Yeah. If you looked at Jesus, you saw the Father. And when we people look at us, they should see Jesus. Yes. Yes. We should be the perfect representation of who he is. And by that, they're seeing his glory in us. Yes, which is the intertwining of image and glory. Because you see that in creation. You also see it in Paul's writings and other places where image and glory, which is, of course, identity yeah. and, and glory. But image and glory are definitely intertwined. They are. So that when we, as we begin to bear his image, as he said, we begin to be conformed to the image of the Son, who, of course, is the image of the Father. Yes. So as we begin to be conformed to his image, then we do begin to express and manifest his glory. We do. So what does glory look like? In a practical sense, because let me let me say why I'm asking this, yeah. because I feel like sometimes glory gets reduced down to just an emotion in worship, you know, right when you're having a worship service and well, the glory of the Lord was here. And it's not that it's not that it's just I think I suspect it's more than that. What are your thoughts of what does glory look like in the real world? So if we're talking about recognizing that the Lord is present, mm-hmm. 
like, so we felt the glory of the Lord in the room. Like we actually felt his tangible presence. We were aware again, we recognized that he was there, that he was, he's, he's everywhere at all times, but there's a place where it talks about his train filling the temple. Mm -hmm. And it actually, when you look at it in the Greek is like, and it kept on filling. Like, so there's levels of manifestation. Yeah. And so I feel like it's when when his attributes are fully seen and recognized for what they are, that's the glory of the Lord being manifest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that what you're asking? Or? Yes. And when we begin to bear that glory, we begin to, as Bill Johnson says, he increases our capacity for glory through testing. So testing is never to make us fail. It's always to increase our capacity for greater success, right? And so as we're tested— and certified for greater levels of glory because glory is weight, mm-hmm. right? Which also carries the idea of as it's connected responsibility as it's yeah. connected to dominion, yes. right? And so as he begins to increase his glory upon us, then we begin to manifest that in very practical ways. And I think for me, I guess it's the pastoral side of me or whatever, what I want to see is more than just coming into a worship gathering encountering his presence, being wowed by the grandeur of God, which we should be, but then just walking out and saying, well, wasn't that wonderful? Right. But not knowing how to live that out in business. Mm -hmm. So we have people who get lost in the glory in a a worship gathering, but their marriage is a wreck and they treat their children like crap, you know, and you got all of this going on. Their business dealings are dishonest and unethical. But wow, you see them on Sunday and they're just all in the glory. They don't have the mind of Christ, that, right? So, they're not so, one with him. That's right. Yeah. So my question then is, what I really am curious to explore is, how does that glory become practical transformation? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it does boil down to when we allow the Lord to show us a reflection of who we really are. Mm-hmm. both in this sense of who we were designed to be and who we were destined to be in his mm-hmm. image and in his likeness. When we understand we really are to be kings on the earth and yeah. we really are to walk in his power and his love and his goodness, then we know like that's the ultimate goal. That's actually predestination, like yeah. to be predestined to the image yeah. of his son, right? Yeah. So that's the point on the horizon that we're headed for. And then how it plays out in our journey is that the Lord in his kindness doesn't show us all the areas where we're not measuring up all at once, mm-hmm. but he begins to test us where in and in that area of testing is so that we see where we're falling short, yeah. where we see where we're having anger or strife or, or bitterness or resentment or fear. Like fear is such a big one, anxiety. Yeah. So those are all areas where we are falling short of the glory of the God in some way. And He, be, so when we see it and he gives us an opportunity to come into alignment with the truth where, okay, Lord, I'm struggling with an underlying anxiety what is that? And that's another reason why I just love inner healing so much because the Lord gives us an opportunity to walk alongside people and the Lord can pinpoint often like a point in time where I believed a lie. Like um, I often will share an example of when I, the very first inner healing session I ever had, I saw a vision of myself at about three years old and my father was walking out the door with a suitcase And I remember looking at the memory going like, that was a real memory. That's come up a few times, but I could never understand why that memory would resurface every few years or so, just a flash. Um, When he actually, he came back and they didn't divorce till I was like nine. So I'm like, why was that uh, one that stuck in my memory? 
And the Lord showed me that in the moment that he walked out the door, little Susan believed that um, if she had been a good little girl, he wouldn't have left. Oh, wow. And he showed me that what happened was that lie, that if I am not a good girl, if I am not perfect, then bad things will happen and people will leave. Oh, wow. And it created like this computer program running in the back of my psyche, in the back of my subconscious that made me feel like you always have to be good enough. You always yeah, have to perform yeah, or something yeah. bad's going to happen. And so I had this low-lying anxiety of always not being enough, of yeah. always having to strive for more. And when he showed me that, like as an adult, like I knew like that wasn't her fault. Yeah. It was easy for me to come out of agreement with a lie. That computer program had been running for decades. And so I had like neuro pathways grooved in my brain that were like, these are, this is how you think. But it's like the Lord entered in a truth virus into that wow. computer program. Yeah. So now I have the ability to catch myself and say, that's not true. Yeah. What's true is, you know, I, I am perfectly made and I'm going to make mistakes. And just because I make a mistake, bad things aren't going to happen. Yeah. Like God's okay. Yeah. And that actually began to, to weed out the things in me that weren't conforming to, to his, his image. image. And so as that image is, is transformed, as you conform to his image, then there is an increase of glory. There's an increased capacity to actually reflect who he is, so he which says is in, his glory. Yes. Yeah, so he says in Second Corinthians 3, Beholding as in a mirror, a glass, the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from one stage of glory Glory to to another. That's powerful. And I can tell you hundreds of examples like that through my life, but that one stands out the most because it's so clear. And that happens to almost all of us at some point in our life is this, particularly as a child, like we're very self-centered, not selfish, but children are self-centered because they don't have the maturity or mm-hmm. the emotional capacity to see all of life as outside of themselves. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't see that it was an issue between my parents. All I could see is how it affected me. Yeah. And so, and we have an enemy who wants to help us interpret those events. Uh, right. And then he'll spend a long time just kind of reinforcing that false truth to us. And then we just operate on autopilot. Yeah. So back to John 17. So we are, Seeing the Father for who He is, mm-hmm. as He is revealed in Christ, we are invited into that union. Yes, we begin to be transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord, the goodness of God, that begins to bring transformation through repentance, and we begin to have a change of mind, which is what repentance is. We're beholding the glory of the Lord. We're beholding His goodness. We begin to be mm-hmm. transformed, and we begin to reflect that transformation. As that happens, we are being deepened in our oneness with the Father, yeah. right? That oneness with the Father then begins to facilitate oneness with each other. Mm-hmm. So like Gina and I can say, we've been married almost 28 years, and I really think we can say that the success and the happiness of our marriage is rooted in in the relationship that we each individually have with the Father. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in that relationship with God, when we've had conflict or clashes where we couldn't conform to each other. It was in our conformity to the Lord that brought repentance that then allowed us to then better fit together as a couple. That model, now it's with our children, it's with the church that we help lead, it's all of that. As that begins to work out in the world, that's actually that's actually translatable in a business environment. It is. That comes into a, a civic a community environment. Wherever people are doing society, wherever they're doing relationship, doing life together, that 
being rooted in oneness with God that then produces oneness with each other. So if I have a conflict with you, we can spend all day cracking one another's skull, you know, beating our heads together. I got to get you to do what I want. You're trying to get me to do what you want. But if we both just say, okay, white flag, cessation of hostilities, let us retreat for a while and let's go spend some time with the father. And if I actually, and we actually did this because it really does work. And if I go, let's say I find a lie that I've believed and God begins to uncover and expose things within me and I begin to be healed, you begin to be healed. Mm -hmm. Reconciliation happens between us because of our reconciliation with the father. That's powerful. It's very powerful because we can't do it outside of his perspective. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm in conflict with you, obviously it's because I believe I'm right and you're wrong. Right. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Which may even be true. It could even be true, right? right? But if we're if we're at odds and we feel for whatever reason that I want to make you mm. understand my will or do it my way or right. whatever. If I spend a moment with the Holy Spirit, if I spend time with the Father, if I get the mind of Christ, then I'm actually seeing things from a different point of view. Then, number one, he cares more about relationship than being right. Look at how he's allowing the world to happen. Like He is not approving of everything that's going on in the world or even what's going on in the church. Right. right? But he loves us enough to be with us. As as we are, like yeah. as it's going, because he cares more about relationship than about being right. Yeah. Number one and number two, he's about unity, not uniformity. Yeah, he created us different on purpose, yeah. and my opinion may be valuable, and your opinion may be valuable. But if I don't understand that it can be different and still be okay, yeah. that there could be two different puzzle pieces that fit together to make a picture that's maybe beyond what my understanding is right now, I won't listen to you with the idea of understanding why you believe what you believe or why you want to do something a different way, yeah. I'm listening to argue. Yeah. I'm listening to persuade, yeah. to, you know, we've, we've, we've reduced evangelism down to believe these tenets of, you know, uh, theology. Right. And that doesn't transform anybody. Mm-mm. You know, it's not about saying a prayer or, or yeah. something. It's about them coming into a relationship with him and then him transforming them as they go and when you talked about like how that plays out like in your marriage for Mm. example i uh, was in uh, marriage ministry for a long time and i uh, was friends with a couple and the husband so badly wanted them to become one like that was like almost his mantra Mm. like we're not going to get this right until we become one and they never walked in unity And sadly, they ended up divorcing. And I think part of it was is that his idea, and he didn't do it like out of any kind of malice, but his idea of oneness was you agree with me. Yeah. (laughs) Because he, you know, and so therefore her heart didn't feel safe. Right. And so there really was no common union. Yeah. And I think that that's part of why, you know, in the prescription of John 17, he gives the answer where he talks about in verse 26, he says, um, you know, I have made known to them, I've made your name known to them and will make it known to them so that the love of which you loved me may be in them. Wow. You know, and he even talks in the verse before that about how we need to understand that the Father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. And when we understand that we are that beloved wow. that and that he loves you as much as he loves Jesus, then when I'm looking at you, I'm not looking at whether you're 
you're wrong. Yeah. I'm looking at you are the Father's beloved, yeah. and I need to honor the Spirit in you, yeah. even if I don't understand or if I don't agree. And then that allows me to hear you. Because if I go to the Father about you, I may start off fussing, and I may say, you know, she's so really wrong, God, and you know this, and I need you to make her see the right thing, right? I start prayers like that, too. <laughs> But what happens, though, is if I stay there long enough and he really, first of all, affirms and embraces and receives my pain, because the reason I'm resisting you is I feel threatened by you. I'm afraid on some level. And, of course, that fear is rooted in a lie, right? So I'm angry because I'm afraid. I'm afraid because I've believed a lie. So when I go to the heart of the Father, he doesn't reject me. He affirms me. He'll even say to me, you know what, Steve? Uh, Susan's being pretty stubborn right there. She's really probably, she needs to change right there. And he'll even affirm some of what I'm feeling. But if I stop right there, I'm still just going to continue the conflict now thinking I have God on my side. But if I go a little deeper into the heart of the father, he will affirm, he will, he will, you know, clean my scraped knee. He will love me. But then he will begin to say, but now let's think about Susan. What is she going through right now? What, what's, what's driving how she's thinking, where she's coming from? And as he does this, I remember one time I had a, a person that was really irritating me and the Lord gave me a dream of them. And they were in this dream. They were about a 13 year old uh, teenager and they came running to me. And in that dream, the Lord let me see what was driving that person. Mm-hmm. And it was not malice. It was pain. Yeah. And when I saw it, it gave me a, a compassion for them that completely restructured the way I saw them. So I think that's what he does. And and then I can now look at you with love rather than with fear. Perfect love casts out fear. I'm not afraid of you anymore. Right. So now I can step into this conflict and I kind of say, oh, okay, I'm not afraid that you're going to take away my leverage or my power. I'm not afraid anymore because the father reassured me he's got me. He's going to cover me. So now that I'm not afraid, can you tell me what's driving your feelings? Why do you feel so upset about my point of view? And then you, be- well, here's why. And you begin to express yourself. And it allows me to actually hear what you're really saying and not what I think you're saying because I'm afraid. When I'm afraid, I distort what you're saying, right? Yeah. And it's in- And to me, what really strikes me about this, and this is really jumping out to me today from John 17 and what you're saying, is that it's all rooted in union with the Father. All we're in understanding of how much he loves us. Yes. And that we are already one with him. Yes. It's, you know, there's a lie of separation. Yes. And that makes us feel powerless and the fear and and why I have to protect myself from you. That's right. Exactly. It's Ephesians 4 where he talks about they're alienated through the darkness of the mind. Alienated, separated. Yeah, but it's all in the mind. It is. Alienation is actually not real. Well, in the garden. Right. So in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, they believed they were separated. That's right. And so they, and when they heard the father walking in the cool of the day, like walking in the garden, when they heard his sound, they hid. Why? He wasn't coming to beat them up. Right. Adam, where are you? Yeah. You know, and when he found out what they did, you know, and he told them the consequences, he covered them. Yeah. He protected yeah, them. Exactly. He was not there to say, you're no longer my child. You're no longer my family. Wow. You're disinherited. Yeah. Instead, it was our understanding and our false perception. Now we lost our glory. We lost an understanding. Our perception of glory is the perception yeah. of that, which is awesome, of yeah. that, which is true of that, you know, of, of who God is. And when instead we see of glory, glory, it became shame. Then the, we traded it for, a for shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so we're we're getting ready to land this plane. So you know, good. Re- I have one other your, thing I want to return your your seat your, your seat back to the upright position. This- lock your trays and all that. Okay, yes. so one more thing. One What's- more thing, and uh, and it's something that happened this week is why I want to bring it up, and um, and I think it it really does play into John seventeen. On Wednesday night at church, we had a lady have a vision, and she had a prophetic vision while we were in worship, and she saw. The body of Christ, like two groups of people opposed to one another yeah. with a rope, and they were playing t- like tug of like war, tug of war, right? Yeah. They were going back and forth. And in the middle of this rope, there was a flag. And it, and underneath the flag, there was like a, a deep well of water. And they were going back and forth and tugging, right? And the flag was just moving back and forth. Like uh, they were in competition, and she felt over like who was right. Yeah. Yeah. Just going back and forth over who was right. And then Jesus was standing at the well, looking at them. And then he grabs the center of the rope and he pulls it up. And when he pulls it up, all the sides come together around the <laughs> well. So and I thought that was like, that's so amazing, right? That's bringing the body of Christ together in unity, yes. like John 17, yes. becoming one. But then there was a disturbing part of the vision, which kind of bothered me for the last few days until this morning. And that was, then she saw this angel like actually coming down like through the church ceiling and he was um, very authoritative, very um, intense. And he's like stomped his foot and he was like, listen, the enemy is trying to divide you. Mm. And I was like, well, wait, didn't Jesus just pull up the rope and bring us together? And, and so that kind of disturbed me for a few Mm. days actually. And it was this morning when I was just praying about John 17 and the unity, I saw the picture of that vision again. And I was like, okay, Lord, I understand that in the vision that those two groups of people represent the different factions in the body of Christ and how we argue over, <clears throat> pardon me, over who's right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you believe in oneness. I believe in the Trinity or, mm-hmm. you know, like we can, we can. You know, well, I don't, don't, don't say that. No, 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 I, not anymore. No. <laughs> right. You, but you have friends that do, yes, right? That's you have exactly friends right. that yeah. do. Well, my, right? yeah, my father, when he passed, yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. And I, I have friends and that have great honor for that. Don't so I'm believe not women should right. be pastors. Right? right. And I still love them. Right. Right. I do. And we don't have to always agree in order to walk with honor with one another. But when we're fighting and we're going back and forth, that flag in the middle felt like it was the goal. Like that flag was us coming together in unity, us, the answer to world evangelism. That's like the great harvest. Like that's what we're striving for. But because of our fighting, like it, the people can't reach that living water. They can't reach the well. They can't come into union with Jesus because we're yanking them all over the place with our disunity. And I was like, oh, Father, that really is, has a lot to do with John 17. And I was like, you know, but the, the thing with, uh, the angel was still a little disturbing to me. And I felt like the Lord was like, you have to understand the more we begin to come in unity, the more the enemy is going to come against us because we ain't playing tug of war. Mm. Like this is real. Like this is, we are really at war. And us learning to love people, even people when they're, when we disagree with them, Mm -hmm. learning to honor them and having the father's heart for them. That's still a child of God. That's still his daughter and his son, even though we might want to smack them around in the flesh. Like, but the truth is, is that that is precious. They are precious to the Lord. And when we, like you have often said, when we bring people to the table, we're not going to disagree like we disagree from afar. Yeah. 
because now the person becomes real. That's right. We understand their heart. We understand what motivates them, and it gives us an opportunity to come into honor, which fosters unity. And so with the angel, I felt like he was saying, like, it's not only just a warning, though, like, this is, the stakes are going higher. We're not going to be playing church as usual anymore. Like, there's actually... He is erasing that dividing line between the body, and we are going to come together like never before. Yeah. But the warfare is going to increase. But he's bringing us angelic help. Yeah, he's bringing like us we're going to win. Yeah, yeah. And I really feel what you're describing really in our community as well, mm-hmm. just within even the city of Mansfield, yes. and then of course it's it's playing out across communities all around the nation, particularly around school boards right now. Mm-hmm. And there's That's just intense and, and, warfare. Yeah, and on Sunday I. I made a statement because we had the table. We did the whole meal. It was and, so fun. And Mayor Evans was with us from Bethlehem Baptist. And, of course, he's our first African-American mayor for the city of Mansfield, which is a huge breakthrough. But at the same time, it does create a tremendous amount of disturbance with people. In the power who, structures. Yeah, right. And the whole political Republican, Democrat, and who with whom does he align and all that sort of thing. You know, it becomes this whole conversation about can we trust him? Is race being used as a Trojan horse to import all of these other issues? And it often is. In many communities. It can be, yeah. Yes, it really can be. So there's some legitimate concerns, and then there's a lot of fear and a lot of anger. But in the middle of all that, we see that happening. But on Sunday, I felt like the Lord gave me a phrase, racism cannot survive in relationship. It can't. So when you really develop a relationship with someone, that person becomes a person. They become personalized to you. They become humanized to you. And no longer do you see them as just an object that's black or white or whatever race they may be. So I really feel like that Holy Spirit is on this. Could you wrap us up with prayer Mm -hmm. specifically, uh, just kind of, I guess, putting a bow on all that we've talked about, but specifically around that vision and what Holy Spirit is saying in this moment? I'd be happy to. All right. So, Father God, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in your body. And Lord, I thank you that in John 17, you gave us the answer that when when we are, are one in you and you are one in us, that we will become one with one another. And Lord, I know that we are already one because that's what you achieved on the cross. You've not only made a way, but you have erased the dividing line that it existed between us in our own in our own minds. And so Lord, we we accept your invitation to join you. And Lord, I thank you that as we are doing it as individuals, we are learning how to reach out and accept people for who they are and where they are in their current journey so that we can begin to walk in love with them just the way you walked in love with us, even though we weren't all right, even though we didn't have it all together, even though we really weren't conformed to your image, even though you were calling things that were not as though they already are. Like you see us as who you created us to be, not who we're who we are in the moment. And I yeah. thank you so much for that, Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you are giving us eyes to see others the same way so that we can begin to develop relationship so that that honor and that love can flow and we can tear down those dividing lines. And Lord, we specifically declare that the tug of war in the church comes to an end. That you yourself, Lord, you are the head of the body. And it's like you're almost stepping in as the parent's calling time out to these warring children you're lifting up that rope you're tearing down the dividing line we're going to come together around that living well and lord i thank you for the angelic help that you're sending us and lord i thank you that your body is becoming one in jesus name and love wins yes yes it does and let the church say amen. amen amen well what a pleasure it has been again today to 
post-Unleashing the Kingdom with Susan DeBrew. Again, I'm your co-host, Steve Pixler. It's such an honor to talk about the kingdom of God. We're going to come back and do it some more. We'll see you in our next episode.